Mr. Baden, how are you? Where are you? Or in Garifuna, Ida Biange, Haleya Debu Nguele. What are you Miss Shelley? <laughs> I, we are in, or I and we, we're in Dangriga and we're on the Caribbean coast. And uh, it's a bit of a seaside town here. The, uh, this is the home of Garifuna. That's why we've been uh, become fluent the last few days in Garifuna <laughs> language. And in, uh, I guess this is southern Belize, isn't it? We've mm-hmm. come all the way down to southern Belize. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast, an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we ride from our adopted home in London toward our birth home in the Hutt Valley of New Zealand. Along the way, we've spent two and a half months in Europe, about two months of just hanging out, holidaying. <laughs> well, not that a cycle tour is not a holiday anyway. And uh, well, that was a... The holiday parts of what Cuba and Mexico, mm-hmm. and we'll continue to keep going south as far as we can. In breaking news, we are finally back on the bikes, and we just completed eight consecutive days of cycling in Belize. Last episode, we were very lazily sunning ourselves in Puerto Escondido, which is on the Pacific coast in Mexico. Uh, we then flew to the Caribbean, back to our beloved Chetamal, and took a day to prepare. Then we jumped back on the road. <laughs> and we went inland into Belize from the Caribbean and Chetamal, and now we've come back to the Caribbean. So there's got to be this sort of draw for us of the Caribbean. We just keep coming back to it. So before we um, got back on the bikes, it was actually in Puerto Escondido, really, that we started to think about cycling again and realized that we were in part excited but in part feeling a lot of trepidation yeah i mean the uh heat exhaustion i got in uh, the yucatan a few weeks ago that kind of really knocked the confidence back and actually um i ended up writing a bit of a blog about it a guy michael from christchurch he wrote to us and sort of talked about the physical demands of cycling and uh, and also a little bit about what we do on maintenance and that sort of thing but on the physical and basically I hadn't responded to his email for about two months and it just kept weighing on my mind and you know just about you know how am I handling these physical demands and so I was quite nervous with the whole heat exhaustion thing is how we're going to go in the heat and we really had to come up with a strategy for it Um, but then once we started, you know, looking at what's ahead of us in Belize and the sort of things that we could be doing, I started to, the spirit started to pick up a bit, didn't they? Yeah, but I've, it really took a lot. Like you were, when we were in Chetamal preparing that day before we, you know, left Mexico, you were really down about things. You were constantly like sort of pointing out all the risks and all the possible things that could go wrong um and you know you know any suggestion of say camping for example in you know what are quite hot conditions you were just really quite negative about Mm. yeah i mean though the last time i'd remembered that we'd been camping before that was the day that i had the head exhaustion and lying in the tent just sweating buckets Uh, heart racing it it wasn't sort of a comfortable memory to return uh, to return to and I mean you had a few reservations about how you're going to go in the natural world yeah yeah that's one thing for I mean I really think that um, you know we had a certain style of cycling in Europe and we knew that we were going to have to change that up but I I think we um, 
didn't realize how much discipline we would have to have and how we really would actually have to get up at 4 a.m. to get going and finish before 10. Um, and, you know, no, it's not just the climate that's been, you know, sort of confronting us, but, you know, insects and and the wildlife that's out there. Um, I mean, we're both so prone to mosquito bites. They're just anything that bites loves us. Mm. Um, and... And also the time conspired against us as well. You know, in Mexico, you could get going at 6.30 in the morning because that's when the sun came up. But then when we crossed the border into Belize, even though we're just heading south, the clocks went back an hour. Oh, and we're like, no! Well, firstly, we couldn't work out that it was if it was true or not. Yeah. Um, the, we just noticed on my phone and my Garmin, it clicked into this Belize time. And we actually asked a gentleman, didn't we? Who said, uh, <laughs> so what is the time? He goes, I don't know. We only have three times here. Breakfast time, lunch time, and tea time. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. We actually now have to get up an hour earlier than we already were getting yeah. up. Hence the 4 a.m. alarm. Um, yeah. So for me, I don't know. We're pretty useless at being outside. Like I noticed that I'm quite jumpy in general. Like if I have to... Um, you know, we've found like a camping spot or, or, and we have to walk through, for example, long grass or I'm just really kind of extra jumpy and nervous. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just not comfortable. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. People, um, are always really amazed when they see us on a cycle tour and then we sort of reveal a bit about ourselves to them and we say, oh, look, you know, we're doing the cycle tour, but truth be told, we're not outdoors people. Yeah. And people are like, what? And it's true, we're kind of real city folk, you know, and, you know, Mexico City, I felt in my element there, you know, I knew what I was doing, whereas perhaps the country folk or people that live here in Dangriga might go to Mexico City and freak out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th this is a real jump out of our comfort zone, but we're ready to confront it. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Belize. If we thought that Mexico was friendly, coming into Belize <laughs> was a, was just incredible. Um, everybody's greeting us and encouraging us and saying, you know, good morning. Obviously, we're cycling early in the morning every day. And we just get, you know, so many smiling people giving us a wave. It's, it's really um, lifts the spirits. Mm. And the other thing, we've been speaking Spanish a lot for the last two months. We roll into Belize and it's all in English and or you know, Creole and Griffin are all sort of spoken. I mean, they obviously see us and they start speaking English mostly. But that was uh, kind of a surprise. I mean, I'd, I've been to Belize 10 years ago, but I forgot the whole thing that they spoke English. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, But that was really comforting. And then we went to the ATM when, in the first stop at Corozal and out come uh, the Queen's face yeah. on the banknote. So... Little things like that. You you were surprised that Belize was a former colony. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I didn't know really anything about Belize. All I knew about Belize was, oh, it's really good snorkeling. And that was it. I didn't know. I didn't. I knew some, you'd told me that they spoke English, but I didn't. That didn't really. I didn't really understand what that meant till we got here. And I realized, oh, I, I can stop trying to speak Spanish for a little while. This is great. Um, and cycling through a really foreign place like Belize and seeing people um, speaking English and, you know, with the queen on the money and, you know, mowing their lawns on a Sunday and, you know, signs that say hardware store or Patty's Bistro or, you know, like we saw a big political sign that said, keep calm and vote, 
keep calm and vote UDP or something. I was like, this is really bizarre that in, in this tiny country in Central America, there are all these British references. And it really sort of dawned on me the impact of colonialism. I mean, I'm from a colony or former colony. And I don't know, it's, it's such a basic thing to suddenly realize, but it made me kind of think, oh my God, it's so bizarre that there's a little piece of Britain in the South Pacific, you know, just as strange it is, as it is to be here in Central America. So um, it just, yeah, I just kind of, I don't know, it was strange. It just came home to me how much colonists or colonial powers had, you know, changed the way people live their lives just for their own convenience or, you know, mm. do you know what I, mean? I just... Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it is it is sort of strange. And then, you know, when you read about the history here, you know, Britain ha- doesn't have a lot to be proud of. Uh, they provide a lot of stability in the sort of the 60s and the, and the 70s with their military presence here. But then when Belize went independent in 81, they all buggered off. Mm. And, uh, you know, they left behind quite a legacy, and it's not really a great legacy. Mm. You know, they used a lot of slaves, um, they really went in and plundered the natural resources here. Yeah, they also kind of encouraged like real kind of um, reliance on single industries, you know, just sugar or, um, and it didn't really make for a particularly balanced economy. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, um, yeah, I was just surprised. And we actually ran into a guy who um, brought up the New Zealand flag debate in New Zealand. They're thinking about changing the flag. And he was like, oh, I read about this this morning. I'm really keen for them to change the Belizean flag. And I said, what do you want to change it to? And he was like, I don't know. I just think we should change it. And it is a strange flag. It's um, a couple of people. I don't know, I don't know really what's on the flag, but yeah, it's, it's, bl- well, there it is. it's a real there. hangover. It's over the road there. Yeah. The lady's got it waved. It's uh, a big blue stripe with two red stripes on the on the top. In the middle is like a white crest, and it looks like a colonialist type guy shaking hands with someone who's a bit more native, perhaps. And it's, yeah. I don't know. It looks a reasonable flag to me, but you know, they have these sort of colonial hangovers like we do in New Zealand. You know, we want to get rid of our bloody, well, people, some people want to get rid of this Union Jack off our flag as well. Yeah. But the other thing with uh, crossing the border is that, uh, you know, you're just going over really what's an arbitrary line, but yet again, things are so different, mm. you know, and it's one of the great things we just keep noticing right throughout this trip. Mm. You know, the houses are really quite small here. Yeah. You know, the, the roads are dusty and... I know, I'm like really obsessed with tiny houses at the moment, which are like really, really small houses, either on a trailer or a foundation. And this this nation is filled with tiny houses. I really yeah. like it. Yeah. And the other thing is that you can see everyone's uh, geared up for hurricane protection. You know, mm. we're coming to hurricane season at the moment and... Uh, inshallah we're not having anything just yet um, while we're riding our bikes through it but um, yeah a lot of places are on stilts because the water can sometimes no wash in and come underneath the houses and uh, you know we're we're on a balcony at the moment that's on on the seafront and it's all sort of you know guarded up in case it gets hit by a storm I mean they've had some real crackers here that have wiped out a lot of buildings, Belize City got pretty much wiped out in uh, 1961. Mm. The whole north coast, that got wiped out in uh, 1931. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, yeah, hurricanes and that sort of thing are part of life. And it's 
changed uh, has a real impact on the architecture here, doesn't it? Yeah. The other thing I noticed, um, I'm kind of with an interest in horticulture, is no, not many people have gardens here. They have um, the odd shrub, and they have some incredible coloured shrubs here, bright pink and purple and yellow. But mostly it's just kind of scrubby grass, um, some trees, and no one really does any kind of landscaping. So, yeah, I wondered if that was because of flooding, but I've asked a couple of people, and they say no. They just, no one sort of sees the point of ornamental gardening. So that's one thing that did not come from Britain to Belize. Mm. Yeah, um, people... Uh, really live with what the environment dishes them up, you know, and uh, no, no, people aren't that well off here. Well, no, they're not well off at all, really, when you compare to what we have. And so, you know, gardens are kind of like a middle-class luxury, mm. aren't they? Yeah. And um, it, they've got, you know, these beautiful plant species and, you know, the jungle here is really verdant. So, uh, you know, they make up for it in lots of other ways. Yeah. So we've kind of observed, I mean, you've been here 10 years ago and you sort of observed that there's two kinds of like ways of traveling in Belize, right? Mm, yeah, you get two types of holidays. You know, you got the people who um, come in off the plane and then head out straight to the islands out off the coast here. Uh, they, they're called keys, actually, because I think they're mostly on reefs and you can do snorkeling and diving. There's sort of marine national parks out there and... Uh, no, all sorts of sort of things like that you can do or you can come inland and experience more nature and, and the jungle and I guess us riding on bikes uh, we've kind of chosen to do that side of it you know the whole nature thing and uh, that's what we faced with when we uh, rode up uh, on one of our third night I guess and we stopped off at Crooked Tree It's six o'clock in the morning and quite possibly the most magical moment we've had so far in our cycle tour in Belize. Or even the whole cycle tour. It is truly stunning. We are on a causeway in the middle of a river in a place, little place called Crooked Tree. Population around a thousand, uh, more or less. And uh, this place is famous for bird watching. And coming out six o'clock in the morning here, and we've just seen birds, um, big flocks of birds, uh, roam over us, whoosh over our heads, and then you see their reflection in the glass-like water of the river, which is also reflecting the sky. It is a true paradise right here at the moment. It's so nice and peaceful, except for sort of the buses which are starting to come through to take all the kids to school. Morning. Crooked Tree is an area where the river forms a series of lagoons that provide a habitat for around 276 species of birds at various times during the year. They have a visitor centre there with a lot of information. Um, village life there, it's, it's very relaxed and laid back. Um, a lot of people don't actually have sort of traditional jobs and just live off the resources that they find. Um, and, it, and it was cut off from the highway until... I you were saying 19 yeah, 1984 yeah 1984 is when they built this five kilometer long causeway that now links crooked tree and the wildlife sanctuary to the main highway uh so it was it was quite an interesting experience and i decided to write a short sort of blog about our our night that we spent there so i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that goes onto the blog howareyou.com with a few photos 
Yeah, we've really had um, interesting things happening every day. This has sort of been the joy of the cycle tour in Belize. It's, um, there haven't been too many, well, I can't really think of, uh, a couple of days of cycling were great, but the destination, were, a couple of days of cycling weren't that great, but the destinations have been uh, kind of special, haven't they? And we, the next place we came to was Burrell Boom. Another cool, cool sounding place and really cool locals there. You know, we uh, got invited to breakfast the next day with Jeff and Pam, which was really uh, memorable and a night camping in the in the backyard of Tony's Cool Spot. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, just hanging out with the locals at, at the Cool Spot bar that night. And yeah, just a really great atmosphere. And then the uh, next place we uh, rolled on down to was um, the unmistakable or unmissable tourist spot, even a tourist spot, which happened to be the Belize Central Prison. This is Belize Central Prison. Um, This is the only prison in Belize. This is a very small country and they have just one prison. and inside, 1,600 inmates. The population of Belize as a whole is only about 350,000. Um, so this is a big, sprawling prison. We're outside the front gates. Um, they're really, really tall. Uh, and we're actually just parked next to the um, prison gift shop and visitor processing office. So there's a lot of people here come to see um, family or friends inside. Um, as we came along the highway, we passed um, vegetable garden, poultry farm, a workshop where they, I don't know, they make furniture and things like that. Um, and we saw all, some of the inmates and they, they wear bright orange, they're waving to us, already working. And it's only about seven o'clock in the morning. Um, last night in Burrell Boom, we met one of the uh, guys that works here as an officer. Um, and he was telling us a lot of things about this place. This is a privately run prison owned by basically one man, a guy called John Woods. Um, he uh, has a government contract to run this prison um, and he makes a lot of money from running this prison. He um, gets paid about nine million a year and um, because of the fact that he produces a lot of the food on site with, you know, they have chickens and vegetables and everything they need, um, he keeps the cost really low and just creams loads of money off the top. Also, apparently, if you come in here and you have family or friends that have any kind of political influence um, or money, you have a really sweet ride by the sons of things. You just get whatever you want. Um, you get left alone by you know officers and you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, however, if you come in here and you don't have those things, you have a really tough life. Um, you have to work in some cases for the other prisoners to, to get any money. You, you know clean their clothes. Um, it, God knows what else they get you to do. I don't know. Um, so it, yeah, it can it can be really hard. Um, but yeah, on the whole, um, it's not a violent place. Apparently, um, the officers don't really have any violence against them. It's pretty it's pretty peaceful, really. Uh, and I mean, the guy that we met, Martin, he said there wasn't a lot of people that were rear too many that were reoffending and coming back in but some of them they come out just like anywhere in the world and they don't know what to do so they just commit a crime and come back in so they can get some meals and things but yeah it's very quiet here at the moment the gift shop is supposed to be amazing because as I said they they have workshops on site and they make a lot of amazing crafts to sell um, but unfortunately it's closed right now it's not open till nine o'clock so um, we're just here having a quick look and then I guess we'll continue on up the road Welcome to the zoo and my name is Tim and I'll be guiding you for the night.
I'm a senior zookeeper at the Belize Zoo and I mainly work with jaguars. Belize Zoo started in 1983 by a woman called Sharon Matola. And we actually ran into her down by the crocodile pool. A pond croc. <laughs> she likes it here. She can stay as long as she doesn't bother. Sharon's a biologist and also a documentary maker and she was in Belize making a documentary in the early 80s um, and when the documentary finished or I think maybe something went wrong with it but ultimately she was left with around 17 animals that had uh, been rescued or were being rehabilitated or whatever and she didn't quite know what to do so that's when the Belize Zoo project began um, and it's just kind of grown from there really. Uh, she moved to the current sort of I think it's 20 is it 29 hectare section or something like that. Yeah, really really big place off the off the highway um, and and since then they've been looking after animals none of the animals are kind of bred or brought in specifically for the zoo they're all rescued and that might be that they were um, discovered as pets and confiscated and brought to the zoo they might have been orphaned by hunting or natural disaster or they could have just been injured say by a car on the highway when we were traveling you know generally it's is going to zoos is not something we generally do you know i don't really like seeing animals all caged up and uh, some zoos you, you go to they don't look very happy either but i can honestly say this zoo is quite different isn't it you know yeah. there's a whole different vibe about the place and you know i think it comes from the, the, all these animals having a backstory through their rescue and rehabilitation that sort of adds to makes it kind of a unique place and also it's um you know very educational and all the signs um uh, that talk about the animals are all written as poetry and rhyming, so it's, it's really fun walking around. Jaguar, you just cannot see all through all in the wild, just like that. Yeah. They're sneaky, stealth animals, and they tend to avoid human beings. So one of the best places to come is at the zoo, where you can see them, they understand this Indian environment. Yeah. yeah. So what? Why do they avoid humans? Well, basically, they probably think they they uh, they're smart enough to know that human beings can hurt them, and because of them probably have experience with contact with them with livestock or maybe at, during hunting nighttime. They have they're pretty smart animals. They have a large brain for body weight, but super smart. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, let's go check them let's out. Let's go find them. Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were going to find Junior Buddy. This is the name of a young jaguar whose mother was found in a small community that's just off the hum Hummingbird Highway called Springfield. So they named the jaguar Springfield. She was bothering, she must have been bothering farmers or maybe interfering with their livestock or something. And so she was captured. AKA eating them. Well, yeah, okay, possibly eating them. <laughs> so she was captured and she was given to the zoo. Um, and it turned out that she was pregnant with little junior buddy. Look at this big boy here. <gasps> Wow. Largest in America. Mm. A jaguar. Mm -hmm. Junior buddy, you wanna can you somersault for me, bud? Can you somersault? Let's let's see how you do a somersault. Good big boy. Junior's a big baby. Good boy. <laughs> so Junior is born in captive and he's really good with us and he covers with us and every time he do a trick. Guess what? He wants a treat. So we're doing a little bit of treat here. Yeah, he's eight years old. Never been in the well. Oh, all his life at a zoo because he's been captive bred. No, sorry. What am I saying? He's born in captive, mm. not captive bred. Mm. Yeah. One of that, you can imagine what can happen. That. They have the strongest jaw in the cat family. 
tooth pressure is 900 pounds per square inch. Wow. Yeah. Stronger With, than a lion. You have the strongest jaw bite in the feline family, the cat family. We also passed by the other four cats of Belize. There was the ocelot. The Margay, the Jaguar Rundi, and there's also a, a special fascination with us with the, the guy that has a great sense of humor, the Puma. It's bloody purring. <laughs> It is actually purring. So it can purr, it can chirp, it can whistle, and it can growl, but it cannot grower. Oh. This this puma, it's like sitting there, looking pretty chilled out, purring, and then when you threw the chicken, it just like sprang into action. That yeah, was quite. Yeah, that's why. That's, that's some some of the reason why you can, don't trust a, yeah. a big cat like this. Yeah. They can be nice and easy, but out of the blue you can make the attack. <laughs> Same thing with the jaguars. Jaguars will lure you as close as possible. One minute that break comes in, you dead man. <laughs> we can't forget Belize's national animal, the tapir or tapir or whatever it is. It's whatever you call it. It's definitely strange. And I think everyone can agree on that. Um, I was busy feeding it carrots. Okay, so imagine a small rhinoceros without the horn, and it's got that sort of yeah, that sort of leathery skin, and he's got very um, thin hind legs. He has four foot, uh, four toes on his back foot, and three on his front, uh, and this big sort of sniffly nose, you know, like a um, shortened elephant trunk. Yeah, and kind of a horsey head, like a little ho horsey jaw. Yeah. Because it's a re it's related to the rhinoceros and the horse. If people are trying to imagine it, uh, I think they're coming up with some sort of quite ugly beast, and that that really what uh, Indy was. No, it was lovely. They call it the mountain cow, and it's on their money, and it is their national animal but unfortunately sometimes it um, comes into contact with cars and gets hurt or gets kept as a pet um, so yeah it's they've got about seven of them in the zoo and a night trip to Belize Zoo wouldn't be complete without the call of these guys the howler monkey Tim what's going on now? Uh, it's just this is this, this um, um, howler monkey they understand the, um, the night tours and at times when the night tours they make their howling call Really and truly, they hold early in the morning and late in the evening. And they mainly hold for communication and, so, and as well as when they're like this, there's a threat. So they tend to be communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. Based on that vocalization, what can you think of? I do not. This is like nothing I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, you you don't think of monkeys making this sort of sound. Okay. But think about, think, think about something that's prehistoric. Dinosaur. This is where people. Um, this is where um, the the howling has been part of the Jurassic Park movie. The same howling monkey has been recorded for the. Get but, out! Yeah, it's the same holomoggy. 
<laughs> I'm a big fan of Jurassic Park from way back. And so straight after this, I went to look up um, whether that was actually f true. And Tim is right. They did use the sound of the howler monkey mixed in with the sound of walruses and dolphins and pigs dolphins. and yeah, all manner of other things. <laughs> to <laughs> to create that dinosaur sound. And they used um, a whale's blowhole as the T-Rex's breathing, just by the well, way. I guess there's been no oral history of what dinosaurs sound like, so I guess they had to create it out of something. Yeah, yeah. Apparently the one in Jurassic World, they went for a screamier sound than the Jurassic Park one. And uh, the quote on the documentary I saw was they tried to make it, the T-Rex sound more annoying. <laughs> but yeah, we had a great time at the zoo. So this is where we come to an end of the tour and I hope I didn't bore you guys too much. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was great. Yeah, and uh, thanks for coming to visit the zoo at night times and tell your friends about the zoo. So this was the cool, refreshing jungle stream on the side of the hummingbird highway we've been cycling all well all morning all morning for us is up until about 9 30 <laughs> and uh it was hot enough then definitely hot enough then that we needed like a cool dip in the stream it's right next to the hummingbird lodge uh where we sort of camped out for the night and oh what a what a great place what a great place the whole hummingbird highway was you know people have said if you're cycling in belize you got to go to hummingbird highway and it turned out to be really the right place to go yeah the hummingbird lodge is halfway along so it was just at the right point for us and it was so refreshing getting into the river we're river kids aren't we so that's where <laughs> yeah. we belong but um the road really kind of inspired us again um and made me think back to some of the amazing things we'd seen in Europe and, and the way it feels when you're in beautiful and awe-inspiring landscapes. So we really enjoyed it. They have lots of citrus trees and beautiful jungle-clad hillsides. And at one point, we even heard some howler monkeys in the distance. Um, when we stopped in a valley, we could hear them. They were a few miles away on a hill. So. Yeah, the next day when we got going, it was sort of raining and the clouds were hanging over the hills. It kind of just added to the whole mystique, I guess, of, uh, of the road. It was really awesome. And um, there was lots of sort of places to stop off along the way. Here's what we have for snacks right now. Um, these are uh, just stuck them in the freezer this morning. We had just put them in the freezer. So we can warm these up for you guys if you want. Or, and then there's cookies. Okay, um, cool. Okay, great. Um, so what uh, flavor of the cookies? Oatmeal. This is... Um, Oatmeal, peanut butter. Yeah. You got very excited about this. When we were coming up towards it, his little face was swiveling around and trying to find the sign for the bakery. Yeah, I knew there was going to be a bakery somewhere. And it, and, uh, and it was, we, we'd sort of heard about it. Uh, we, we'd seen some of their handiwork in uh, gas stations. It's, what, how do they pronounce it? It's Crops Bakery or something. And it's, it's a uh, Mennonite family from Oregon. And uh, they set up there so 18 years ago, I think, um, that she was telling us. And... Yeah, they're a form of Mennonites. There are sort of different versions of how conservative you go. She was sort of painting out that their family was sort of less conservative, although there were strict rules and things to be followed. But yeah, they uh, the Mennonites are kind of an interesting subculture within Belize. And yeah, we've seen a lot of them around. They wear, wear very different clothing. They wear quite old-fashioned looking clothing. The guys are in dungarees and check shirts and the women wear um, these dresses that come below the knee and have these puffy shoulders and they often wear a, a scarf on their heads. And yeah, so we've been really curious and we were lucky enough to meet Kimberly and she told you, you ended up grilling her really about, about their, their lifestyle. 
while. Yeah, I think she was trying to find out more about what our life is like in New Zealand, but I was kind of more way more interested in uh, Mennonites, so I kind of keep <laughs> turning the discussion around to that. And, um, you know, the Mennonites actually produce most of the fresh fruit and vegetables for Belize, but yet uh, something that the locals don't really like about it is that they don't pay any tax. You know, they've managed to convince the government that paying tax is against their religion, and uh, therefore they just... Uh, you know, they're turning out this big industry without uh, paying anything back to the economy. Yeah, but I guess that's part of the deal that attracted them here in the first place. And I've got no complaints about their baking or their ice cream making. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not sure if the next place where we got the ice cream, where they were Mennonites, but they were definitely Christians. They had a sign up there, no swearing. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to swear when I'm eating my ice cream. So <laughs> this was... Uh, I felt real. I like. I felt my freedom had been taken away. <laughs> we're in Dungriga and we're taking a break. We're sitting on the balcony at Dee's Hostel, uh, which looks out over the Caribbean Sea, and it's it's a nice restful day here. Uh, I think we're having a few beers for lunch. Basically, we'll we'll have something a bit more substantial later on. But back on the bike tomorrow, and back up the Hummingbird Highway uh, west towards Guatemala. Yeah, Guatemala is the next country on the list. It's been great cycling in Belize, but we've still got some nice bits of Belize to go. Back on the Hummingbird. We don't normally re-trail over roads that we've ridden before, but that's the only way to really get into this part of Guatemala. Uh, and the big highlight will be, uh, originally in Guatemala, will be Tikal. So uh, I guess the next podcast, when we come back, we would have seen Tikal and... Uh, done some more Mayan stuff it's one of the big Mayan kingdoms here in the region and um, yeah that's what we should have for you for what will be actually episode 20 I know, that's I know. so uh, we'll have to try and uh, rustle up something a bit special for you guys yeah one one other shout out just to make before we go the dogs here in Belize super friendly and well behaved I was very <laughs> pleased good boys well that's the end of the episode thank you very much for listening we'd love to know how you are and where you are you can email us how are you where are you at gmail.com or you can go to our blog how are you where are you.com there are a couple of links on there if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast um, on SoundCloud iTunes and on Stitcher and we will be putting a couple of blogs on Baden mentioned the one that he's going to write about the trials and tribulations of his heat exhaustion and recovering and and you know conquering his fears and getting back on the bike and yeah oh, it makes it sound like a real voyage of discovery or or a bit like a nana <laughs> and I'm going to put one on there about our night in crooked tree um, we'd really appreciate it if you would share the podcast with anyone you think might be interested and also maybe rate or review it on iTunes because I think that will help other people to find it uh, speaking of finding people Baden you are on Twitter at Baden C and on Instagram Baden Cycling Thank you, as always, to the talented and handsome Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast. And I think that's us for this episode. So, ayo. Bye. Bye.